We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, November the 30th, 2021. Today's show, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath joins me each and every single Tuesday to help break down just what happened over the weekend as South Carolina drops their season finale to their in-state rival by a final score of 30 to nothing, guys. We also look back on the 2021 football season as a whole as Alex McGrath gives his full thoughts on Shane Beer's first complete season in Columbia, South Carolina, guys. All that much more here on a packed Tuesday show. And it's all brought to you by our friends, as always, over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, for all your moving needs this holiday season, be sure to get in touch with our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. Each and every single Tuesday, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath. Alex going to try to help me somehow feel better about what happened over the weekend as the Gamecocks fall to their in-state ride with the Clemson Tigers by a final score of 30 to nothing. Also, definitely want to get Alex's thoughts on the latest developments with the transfer portal, some coaching changes in regards to college football's concern. And also, we'll briefly look back on the 2021 season as a whole. But first things first, Alex, again, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. It's crazy, by the way. I know I was just talking off air, but it's crazy how quickly the season comes and goes. Just yesterday, it feels like we were speaking during EIU week before the Gamecock season opener. And now we speak on really the final in-season show or the in-season conversations that we've been having, the final one of the 2021 football season. But again, my friend, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. How was your weekend? And, and your Thanksgiving, I might add. How did your Thanksgiving holiday go? It was great. It was great. Had some good turkey, great food. Got to catch up with the family for a little while. Um, you know, had had a, had a great weekend. The weather was beautiful here. Got a lot of 
Got a lot of more of the Christmas accoutrement decorating done. So hanging some outdoor lights, fell off a ladder. You know, the usual <laughs> stuff you do on the weekends. Doing your best Clark Griswold impersonation. <laughs> if you will. If you will. We've quickly run out of outdoor outlets. I'll put it that oh, way. Man. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. Well, now, like I said, you know, I know we talked about it last week. Now you won't be considered a psycho for having your Christmas decorations up. I'm even going to put some Christmas stuff up in the background of the uh in the studio and stuff like that so definitely about that time to get in the christmas season but uh yeah we got to talk about what happened over the weekend alex and i guess i'm i'm deferring to you is there anything you can say to make me feel better here on this tuesday because i'll tell you this alex and i i i tweeted about this and i talked about it on monday's show and it's one of those things where i think as you get older obviously you know when, when you're a kid um your team losing a game can bother you for multiple days, right? And, and there's some people out there that it like ruins their week. And I think as you get older, you kind of get over that. And you're like, hey, it's, I hate to say it's just a game, but you know, you learn how to cope with it much better than your younger self. I will tell you this, which this is not normal for me a- after, after a South kind of loss. I don't know. It has been a very long time since I have been as dejected and distraught and just down and out as I was on Sunday after a Gamecocks loss. But sure enough, that's where I found myself. I went to the basketball game at CLA. It felt like a morgue. I think most people <laughs> shared that shared that feeling with me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. Where, where do you want to go from here? Is there anything, first off, you can say to me to, to make me feel better about what happened on Saturday night? No, I can't. Um, that was just <laughs> – Actually, I got to give a shout out to a guy that works in my office. Uh, so credit to Kenneth on this one. But he said the best thing he saw on the internet this weekend was it looks like Clemson came to collect their rent check. Um, I, I don't. I don't even really know how to spin it in a positive way. Mm. You know, I mean, defense. You know, once again, play hats off to them. They played a great game. It's just. You know, I, I've like it's like we all of a sudden kind of got the ball rolling on offense, and then you backtrack to Texas A&M, and I don't know. I mean, we can get into that, but there's just a lot of stuff that happened that shouldn't have happened in Week 12, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I guess on an upside, you know, they're going to get another month of practice in. We're going to a bowl game. You know, everything that's transitioned outside of our bubble here could lead to some really positive development. So I'm kind of leaning that way with it. But, you know, Saturday night was an abomination. Saturday night, I, I really feel, Alex, was just everything that hurts you in the 2021 season, it was just amplified. I mean, really, truly. I mean, you look at the numbers. You got outrushed 265 to 43. I, if that's not the story of the season in the games in which you lost, I, I don't know what is. I mean, that really, to me, tells the entire story. And I actually had somebody call into our live show yesterday talking about, you know, they were talking on the teleclass. Clemson was doing something very simple up front defensively with, with stunts. And, and, and it's, it's not surprising to me at all. It's not surprising. But it's baffling to think in the 12th game of the season, you're not able to make a simple adjustment and, and just pick up a stunt. And with the backs you had, you know, I was looking at the numbers and I know we're going to get into overall offense and stuff like that, but, you ran for seven touchdowns on this season. Seven. I mean, most fans in the preseason thought Kevin Harris alone would run for seven. You ran for seven as a team. But again, I, I think just all the problems that lingered in the 2021 season, not being able to run the football, not being able to protect your quarterback, 
not really having that dude at quarterback, if you will. And again, like you said, your defense gave you really all they could. But those were the things that I think just all shine through. And, you know, it just it killed you in the end. Bottom line, it killed you in the end. It did. No, it absolutely did. And it's just, you know, looking back on it, it's, it's funny kind of reassessing where we were, you know, prior to EIU and what we thought the strengths and weaknesses of the team would be. And I would tell you through those 12 games that we, that we all watched, you know, I, like the biggest strength on the team was probably what we felt like was going to be the biggest weakness. And that was the secondary. And they just played out of their minds all year long. And created turnovers, put the offense in a good position. And it's just like, you weren't ever able to capitalize on these things. And, you know, it held, was, it was held Clemson at 99 ball. yards passing. Held Clemson at 99 no, I mean, yards passing. That's why I mean, they scored. I mean, that, if you don't count the last touchdown they punched in, I mean, well, I mean, you have to count it. But, I mean, they scored three touchdowns. Right. And, I mean, and you, you got to be able to put yourself in a position to be competitive if your, you know, defense is going to hold you to that position. So. Yeah. What, what was arguably, because I, I think back, you know, I, I do my, my preseason uh, position unit previews, and I, I'll grade each position unit. And I think I graded the secondary like a D, and I graded the offensive line a B plus. Boy, does that, does that look silly? Does that look silly? <laughs> Sitting here now. Back, back to, again, we're, we're not going to spend a ton of time, though, Alex, talking about, I mean, what happened on Saturday. Because there, there's nothing to dissect when you lose 30 now. You got your ass kicked. That, that's all you really got to say. But – and there's so much else we can talk about, but I, I think the thing that hurt the most, Alex, again, I, we all knew the Gamecocks were capable of losing this game. Obviously, you open up as a 14-point underdog, no doubt, no doubt, right? Like, picking Clemson to beat South Carolina wasn't some bold take. But you just felt like for the first time in forever, the first time in forever, that you had a realistic shot to beat these guys. And not only do you not do that, but you get blanked on your home field in prime time, and the average margin of defeat in this seven-game losing streak, Alex, is 26 points. Again, you've been in a locker room, and you've been a part of this rivalry. And so the mental edge, I don't know if you knew this also, Alex, do you realize there has not been a Carolina-Clemson game decided by 10 points or less Outside of 2015, which was really just one of those weird out there kind of years after Steve Spurrier had resigned, there's only been one time the game was decided by 10 points or less since 2007. So it's been a blowout basically every year. But I ask you, you know, I don't even know if you're really going to have the answer to this question, but you've been in a locker and you've been a part of the rivalry. What's got to change as far as like the mental edge? Because I mean, the only thing you can say here on this on this Tuesday is, well, we got to coach better. We got to go recruit some big time athletes, and those things are true. And I think what Steve Spurrier did in approaching the rivalry was very smart in in not necessarily taking a importance away, but putting importance on other things and other goals, and saying, hey, winning the SEC East is our goal. Winning the SEC championship, it's not all just about beating Clemson. We're not here to go one and eleven and beat our rival. We want to go eleven and one and go to the SEC title game. And that will take care of itself. But, I mean, is there anything specifically you look at? Like, what's got to change in the rivalry, man? Because while it may not be the single barometer for success and that's all that matters to fans, it's a very big game for a lot of people. And I just feel like the mental edge, you know, it felt like, Alex, from 09 to 13, we dominated Clemson. And I remember being at the 2013 game and watching all those games. 
And it got to a point where I feel like Clemson feared the block C. And whenever South Carolina was playing Clemson, it didn't matter what the score was. I was like, I know something's good is going to happen because it just always does. We always beat Clemson. And now that is completely flipped in the reverse. I mean, is it as simple as just, you just got to go get some big time program changing players. I mean, it, what, when you look at the rivalry as a whole, what's got to change to at least start to flip it back in South Carolina's favor, not even win, but get back to competitiveness. I don't even know that it's necessarily a mental edge. I, I really think it's just players. At the, at the end of the day, I think that's the only – I mean, because if you look at when – like when that rivalry swung, like from us winning five in a row to Clemson now just kind of running away with it, like the programs went in totally different directions. Right. So, you know, you get something back that's more on equal footing where you have, you know, guys that can be competitive with, you know, the athletes that Clemson's brought in over the last decade. I mean, that's what's going to get you back to that spot. I don't even know that it's necessarily like a mental edge thing. I mean, sure, it could be, and you could argue that with, you know, pretty much what we saw from 09 to 13, where, you know, a lot of those Clemson teams, you know, they had players that were definitely, you know, better than or equal to what we had on our sidelines. But I still think like we had better players during that run than they did. And I think that's what's going to flip it back. You know, in addition to the fact they had, you know, generational quarterbacks Mm. back to back that were helming that ship. And, you know, given that, scenario that's what and it doesn't even have to be a generational quarterback but you've just got to get the players back on equal footing and you know even the guys on game day on Saturday were saying the same thing like you know it's there couldn't have been more complimentary of what coach Beamer has done to this point but you know their their comments in regards to the game is just basically South Carolina doesn't have the players to be competitive in this right now they will but they don't right now and I think that's what you've seen over the last Seven years. And you while know, it's dis- a, yeah. Yeah, you're good. I, I was gonna say while it's disheartening, it's the reality. It is. I mean, there's it's not there's not a magic elixir you can just you know run in there and shake in the locker room and spray on everybody, and it's like, okay, yeah, we're not like mentally like challenged by this anymore. But it's it's really just having the guys that are it, and it's just it's just better players. Yeah. And you mentioned the quarterback position, Alex, and of course we all know how important that is. You don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance and Listen, I, I, I've got nothing bad to say about Jason Brown. Um, I think he did the best possible job you could have asked for beating Florida, beating Auburn. I think he'll forever go down, um, you know, in a positive light to Gamecock fans for being sort of this underdog story and finding a way to get those wins. But the quarterback position, while it's not all on that, we could talk play calling, we could talk offensive line, of course. They were the problem. But, Alex, I don't know if you realize this, and I, and I posted this on Twitter yesterday. Since 2015, so six years, the Gamecocks have started 11 different quarterbacks. And I understand some of those have been due to injury, and I, I understand. I get it. But 11 quarterbacks. I seems like a lot. I can go down the list if you like now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know. I think might take you down, uh, down memory lane. Mitch, Orth, Nunez, McIlwain, Bentley, Skarnecchia, Halinski, Hill, Doty, Nolan, and Brown. <laughs> so... All those, and there's been others that have played. I mean, I didn't mention Dak Joiner. He didn't start a game, but he played. So there have been others that have played as well. But my point being is this: again, we talk about you know Shane Beamer's to-do list as Gamecocks head coach, and I promise 
those tuned in. We're going to get into Satterfield discussion here in just a second. But when it comes to going into next season and the future of kind of football, I don't know how high on the priority list it is for Shane Beamer, but finding truly QB1, finding that guy, I mean, that to me has got to be damn near his top priority moving forward. It has to be. I mean, it, like if you look around at anybody that's successful, that's what the you know general cog in the wheel is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like George is kind of an aberration, um, just because that defense is. I don't know. How, I don't know what other yeah. adjective otherworldly describe their defense. Yeah, like this year, <laughs> like you, you, like we could be starting at quarterback for Georgia and it'd probably still <laughs> be twelve and zero right now. Um, but you know, the the main thread in all of that is finding that consistent signal caller back there that understands the offense, where everybody's supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing, knows how to make the changes that are necessary. And until you get that piece in place, it's you're like having offensive consistency is going to be really hard, mm-hmm. no matter who your offensive coordinator is. Right. And, you know, obviously we'll get into the Satterfield discussion, but I've got a lot of takes on that too. Yeah, well, people talk about, too, like, oh, you got to have the right OC to have recruits want to come play with this guy. Well, when you have that big-time quarterback, too, that helps. That helps bring offensive playmakers like, hey, this guy's going to get me the ball. Um, and, I, and I just – and now that the season's concluded, right, the regular season's concluded, there were a lot of fans who thought I, I was I, – I favorited to Luke Doty and I was, I was biased to Luke Doty, and I wasn't. My, my stance will always be the same. Play the best player. Just play the guy who gives you the best chance to win. But to be transparent, selfishly, did I want Luke Doty to flourish and develop into that guy? Yes, because who doesn't want that guy to cling to? Is anybody else tired of going week to week to week and not knowing who our quarterback is? I mean, that to me, Alex, just gets exhausting. And I can't imagine, again, you've been in the locker room. For a fan, that's exhausting. And I know you just go do your job regardless, but that's got to be just – that's got to be tough. That's got to be tough on guys on the offense and the offensive line even to to not know, like, who's our guy? Who's our leader? You know what I mean? Who who is our leader? Who's the guy we turn to when things get tough, right? And so, again, finding that guy, with all due respect to everybody on the roster, whether that's Braden Davis in recruiting, whether that's the transfer portal, hint, hint, you got to find that guy you can cling to and say, this is QB1. This is who we're rolling with, not only for the fan base, but more importantly, those guys on that roster, the guy that they can turn to. 100%. Well, I mean, look at look at uh, Coach Springer's tenure. Yeah. Like, when did it turn the corner? Yeah. I mean, Gar- for me, it was – we roll- Yeah, for me, it, it was Garcia. We Garcia comes in and becomes that dude. I mean, truly, for, you know – you can judge him all you want, but he was beloved by his teammates. And that – it showed. It very much so showed. Correct. Garcia comes in and becomes that dude, and then Connor Shaw comes right behind him and becomes that dude. And since Connor left – well, that's not true. Dylan had a good year that yeah. one year. But since, you know, 2014, that has just been a dumpster fire across the board. And until you get that straightened out, you're gonna it's gonna be tough to find the offensive consistency I think everybody's looking for. And I think your point to 11 different people starting over six years at the quarterback position contributes a lot to that. Yeah. And you know, certainly like you know, from an offensive coordinator discussion, it's like 
I, it, it's frustrating to listen. Like, I completely understand you got to get rid of Satterfield take. Completely understand that. But like when I'm watching the when I'm watching the game Saturday night, and the first interception we throw is to a ghost. Like it's hard for me to yeah. blame that on Satterfield because if you'll notice in that replay, Jaheim Bell's running by himself <laughs> down the sideline, and we're throwing an out route. And I I don't I don't know I don't think that I'm not trying to throw blame on Jason Brown. I'm just saying like I don't know that that's an accurate measure of what is being called and being put on the field. Well, and I think, Alex, your take is very level-headed, which is great, and I, I love that we're on the same page there. Is I, I don't think you're saying that Marcus Satterfield doesn't need to improve or just may not be the guy, but he's not the only problem. He wasn't the only issue, man. Play calling wasn't the only issue. And like you said, you saw it all season in times when, if you really go back and look and watch the tape and look at the film, in the times that we made some of these massive mistakes, you have to look at, was the play there? Was it there to yeah. be executed? And you know, many times it was. So you can't put it all on play calling. But you know as well as I do, Alex. And, again, I, we were – I was talking to you off air um, this time last year. You know, we were going through it in the coaching carousel and all these moving pieces. And, you know, we talked how crazy the money is in college football now. And I, and I talked to you about the culture of college football. And it's, it is a very cutthroat business. It is a what have you done for me lately. And it's a results-oriented business. And when you rank – the second worst offense in the SEC, you average 21 points per game and you rank 109th nationally in offense. For better or for worse, Marcus Satterfield's name is on that. It's on yep. that. And, I, and I'll tell you, Alex, again, this, this is where I stand and I want to get your take because I've said it all year. I'm a Beamer guy. I'm not a Satterfield guy. I'm a Beamer guy. So Shane Beamer's the one getting paid millions of dollars to make those big boy decisions, and he'll do it. He'll do it. And I think Shane's a guy that's not going to let his, you know, anything like the previous regime, let his relationships or his friendships, if you will, get in the way of making the best possible decisions for his program. I don't think he's going to do any type of career suicide like the way the previous guy did. Um, but I think one of two things has to happen. I think one of two things has to happen. Because I talked about how many quarterbacks there have been the last six years. There's been damn near, you know – Six years, it's been damn near six OCs. I think it's been like four or five OCs in the last six seasons. It's been crazy turnover at offensive coordinator. So one of two things in my mind. If you want to get rid of Satterfield, and I'm not telling Beamer how to do his job, but this is just my take on If you want to get rid of Satterfield, that is totally fine. I, I will not shed a tear if Marcus Satterfield is not employed by the University of South Carolina this time, let's just say next week. I, I won't. And I think you probably feel the same. Because, again, at the end of the day, we all just want to win. I, I You know, I want to win. I'd like to score points in the process. I'd rather not win games seven to three. Uh, let's score some points and have some fun while we do it. But if you're going to let him go, if you're going to let him go, I think you have to hire like a no-brainer, proven, has a track record of elite offenses. You need to throw the bag at someone. Because, again, like you mentioned, I don't really blame Gamecock fans for feeling underwhelmed on Satterfield because he was an underwhelming hire from the jump, if we're being totally honest, right? Like we Correct. were sold on – we're going to hire these elite coordinators. And Satterfield was just kind of this, who is that guy? I mean, I didn't know who he was. Most people didn't know who the yeah. hell he was. Um, and his resume is, I mean, he worked with Matt Rule, but, I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. Um, but on the flip side of that, and this is where fans, you lose some of them, a lot of them, 
in my opinion, if that guy's not there, what other choice do you have than to bring him back? Because I, well, can, so you, can you really afford to fall into this vicious cycle of, of changing coordinators every year? Because here's my point, too. What if you, Alex, what if you change the coordinator? What if you fire Satterfield? And you go get, go get a guy, let's just say he's like middle of the pack, almost like another Satterfield. Well, what if the offense still stinks next year and you still can't run the ball? You're going to fire him too? I mean, at some point, you just – you can't do that. You cannot afford to operate that way. That's my only point. So, I think you got to do one of those two things, which I guess maybe is stating the obvious, but I don't think it's as no-brainer as, okay, we'll fire Satterfield and all, all problems are fixed. you got to go have somebody else you can realistically get and pay and, you know – I'll be very, let me just put it this way. I'll be very intrigued to see how Beamer handles it because this is a very, very important decision for, for his future here. There's no question about it. No, it's, it, it's huge. And I, and I think it's, it's made bigger by the fact of what happened in Oklahoma yesterday um, with Lincoln Riley stepping out. There's a lot of uncertainty, I would say, and some chaos in that situation. So I think there's a lot of moving pieces and balls that are in the air right now that, you know, he, you know, obviously coach Beamer's got a ton of connections to that program. So, you know, if you're on the phone with that, one of those guys, you know, like a, a Kale Gundy, for example, um, if you're on the phone with one of those guys and you can get him, I would get him. If we are going to get rid of Satterfield and go with another anonymous coordinator that nobody's heard of and, you know, has questions about, I don't know that I'd go that route because I think it's, I think it more centers back to who is taking snaps for you and who can operate that offense versus, you know, who's calling the plays. And I would say, even in that note, you know, the, one of the more frustrating things to watch from like an offensive perspective is, you know, a coordinator coming in and being like, this is the scheme we're going to run and we're going to run it instead of being adaptive to what you have in front of you. And so, you know, if you do go the route to get rid of Satterfield, that is, I would 100% go that direction. Find somebody that has, that has proven that they can be adaptable to the players around them and not just run a system that they feel like is the best. Yeah. I, I think you have to do that. Yeah. That's a no brainer. You have to do that. Um, but at times, you know, I, I think that, I think Satterfield was very committed to his scheme. I think he was I agree. very committed to his system. I mean, the guy went on record. Guy went on record in a Wednesday press conference and said, what we're doing is not complex. High schools run this offense. I mean, that's all fine and dandy. You want to defend your own scheme, but 21 points per game, man. And the stats, proof's in the pudding right there. It's right there. I mean, it's to your point, it's tough to shake that off. I mean – your name's attached to that. That's what you did for 12 games. And, you know, that's definitely not good enough, mm. you know, no matter what the situation is. And, you know, is that compounded by the fact that you lose your starter to a broken foot, you're starting a graduate assistant starter, you know, your number one guy goes down again to have foot surgery. Now, you know, your graduate assistant's hurt. Now you're, you know, going to the 13 guy here, like, you know, to put together what we were able to put together was incredibly impressive. To get the six wins, given those variables, is huge. You know, the real underpinning of all of this is really just the downfall of any kind of blocking scheme or, you know, offensive line consistency was just – it was just not there. And so, you know, if, I, if, if you're making – if I'm Shane Beamer today and I'm making moves, that's where I'm making moves. 
Yeah. If I can get somebody, if I can get somebody from one of my previous stops that is a big name to come in an OC, I'm going to do that. If I can't, I'm at least changing that portion and seeing what happens next year, assuming you can have consistency at the quarterback position. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Hmm. You know, but to your point, you know, having because this will be this if we fired Satterfield, that would be our sixth OC. So, uh, fifth or sixth. Fifth. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like that's not a recipe for success right. at all. Right. And you, there's unless you can get one of the top guys to come in. I would probably sit on it. Mm-hmm. Definitely changing the line coach though. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think there will be staff changes made. I, there's no doubt, I, and I think that's probably the the first one. I don't know when that'll come out, but I think that'll be the first one for sure. Um, yeah, I, like you mentioned too, it, it is worth noting, and I, I know people don't want to hear excuses, and I'm not really trying to make them, but you are right. I mean, th- there aren't many teams I would assume out in college football that could have gone through what South Carolina went through at the quarterback position and have reached bowl eligibility, certainly in the SEC. I, I just – you do have to at least give some credence to that. I think you have to. Um, with that being said, I, I will tell you this, Alex, or, uh, you know, bring this up to you. The one thing I don't want to see happen, because I understand fans are upset. Hell, you lose 30 to nothing, your rival, you should be. You should be pissed off. You should demand more. I don't want to see people jump ship on Beamer if he does retain Marcus Satterfield. Because while it may not be overly vocal, you know, at least those that I see on social media, and I feel like I've got a fairly decent feeling on the pulse of the fan base, that, that, that's going to be the narrative around some people is that, oh, this is career suicide. Beamer's not willing to make the changes when necessary. And again, I just go back to, like you said, if the no-brainer hires there, go get him. But can you really afford to spin your wheels every single year? And again, it's like you mentioned. You do also have to give credit to while the play calling wasn't great and many things about this offense weren't great, personnel's a problem, and it's got to be fixed. And I think it's why you've heard Beamer so constantly. What was the first thing he said? I don't know if you heard this. The first thing or one of the first things he said – in the post-game presser, after the Clemson game, I'm hitting the road recruiting tomorrow. Like, he knows. He knows well, you know, much better than we all do about the shortcomings in the roster and what the issues are. And again, you know, I, I don't want to – there's no sugarcoating what happened Saturday. It was inexcusable. You should never get shut out on your home field in primetime. But if you'd have told me in the final game of the season at any point We'd have a grad assistant at quarterback that wasn't even on the roster at the start of fall camp. I mean, look what you're working with. I, that's Again, like you mentioned, though, the biggest problem, and I understand it because fans want it to make sense. I want it to make sense. You want it to make sense. What on God's green earth happened to the run game? I mean, that to me is the most baffling. Because if you would have ran the football well, I think, if you would have ran the football well, and the passing game was truly just the sore spot, the issue, and you had the same things happen at quarterback, I don't know that fans are as up in arms with Marcus Satterfield because, oh, well, that makes sense. But I think it was just a combination of all the things we mentioned. You can't run the ball, you know, and you get the final end result, and, and that's why Marcus Satterfield's head is kind of feels on the chopping block right now. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it, I mean, like truthfully, it should be like yeah. you can't have that kind of regression year over year and people not start asking questions. I mean, it's the reality of college football, man. You're making a million dollars a year to coach offense. I mean, going to be some eyebrows raised when you when you have one of the worst in college football. As like you said, as there should, as there should. But yeah, I, I guess to the point I made, I don't want people, and I don't know that there's anything really you or I could say because people are going to do what they want, think what they want. I would just say, don't, don't, don't be that person that's jumping ship on Shane Beamer if he's not just jumping at the chomping at the bit to fire the guy. I mean, you got to trust he's going to make the right decisions. You're not paying him the money you are, and you wouldn't have hired him if you felt like he wasn't going to make the best decisions in the best interest of Carolina football. Bottom line. Well, yeah, 100%. In addition to the fact, apparently Oklahoma's trying to hire him. So there's that. Right, right. They, they must think pretty highly of him if they're, if they're giving him a call for their head coaching vacancy. We'll just leave it at that. Oklahoma's not, yeah, yeah. not a shabby program. Not a shabby program. No, no, they know what they're doing. <clears throat> right. So, um, you know, on that note, I guess we can move into that really quickly because, of course, things sort of hit the fan on Sunday and Monday and, and uh, coaching changes and, and the transfer portal. We're talking quarterback. I'm going to put you on the spot, Alex. Would you have any interest in Spencer Rattler transferring to Columbia and wearing the garnet and black? I mean, honestly, when you told me Beamer was out making recruiting visits, I hoped he was in Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I know there's just some of the fan base that's that's very torn. He he's not a good kid. He's it's like number one, people can change. He, what? He's not he's not the same. Well, there there's a narrative that he's a very selfish player and he's a very you know, he's all about himself. And it's like, well, there's a reason Shane Beamer was hired to change culture and change young men. And, hey, Shane, here's the talent. It's your job to make sure he fits into your culture and your system and everything. So, yeah, I, he would exponentially upgrade that position for South Carolina. Not even close. I mean, I love Luke Doty, but it wouldn't even be close. It wouldn't even be close. No. And the Gamecocks, no, I mean, we, yeah, the Gamecocks yeah. have had a quarterback drafted, Alex, since 1989. That would change if Spencer Rattler came to South Carolina. That would change because that dude or Caleb gonna, Williams or Caleb Williams. Those those are going to be guys that are NFL guys. Bottom line, they're big time talents in that way. So uh, yeah, yeah, I I fully expect Shane Beamer to utilize the transfer portal. Um, I, I think you and I, I'm sure you feel the same as I that Shane Beamer's not headed anywhere. He, he's not going to Oklahoma. Uh, you know as as uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how Ray Tanner and that crew respond to it, uh, respond to it all, because I, I guess the only thing I would say that sort of worries me, and I'm, I'm not worried, but what do you do if you're Shane Beamer and OU offers you nine million dollars to be their head coach? What What do you do? <laughs> I don't. Okay, all right. I mean, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, wait, are right, they going no, to? On. Are they going to? I'm not saying they are. And I actually just got a text from my buddy who. Uh, works for 24-7 Sports, he has said that uh, he has said that uh, Brent Venables is, is probably going to be the guy. Gun to head, that's Brent Venables from Clemson is going to go to Oklahoma and be their head coach. So we'll see. But uh, money talks, man. <laughs> money talks. Yeah, money, money, but I money think we're safe. Talks. I think we're safe. I think we're safe. I think we're safe. I think I think we're safe too. I mean, truthfully, like personally, I was hoping it would be Josh Heupel just because Southern Cal would have ruined two of the last three Tennessee coaching hires, which would have just been funny. But yeah, I don't. I can't imagine they're going to offer him nine million. I mean, if they did, right. I mean, he'd be an idiot not to take it. Right, right, right. 
Right. Yeah. No, it, it is outside of that. Yeah. It, I tell you what he should be doing though. Again, is, is poaching all these Oklahoma guys that are in the portal. Cause I'm literally right here scrolling on Twitter uh, at Mike Roach 24 seven says Oklahoma wide receiver Theo Weiss expected to enter the NCAA transfer portal. The former five-star Allen prospect to kind of for over 650 yards and six touchdowns with Zooners. And he will have three years available with COVID eligibility. So I would have to imagine Shane Beamer is on the phone with every offensive player that is putting their name and saying, hey, we have a great relationship. They, you know, from all accounts, they all loved him when he was in Norman. Come play for me. You are going to start on day one and have a chance to be a big-time impact player for an SEC program. I mean, that to me sounds like a great sales pitch right there. You can just leave it at that. You know well, I mean? it's it's so. an easy sell because, like, you know, to your point, you've got a great relationship with all of these guys. You know, obviously the administration at Oklahoma thinks a ton of him to oh, even, yeah. like, mention bringing him back. And, you know, because I think in the piece that I read, it's because he has relationships with all these guys. They think they can keep that together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can get out there and sway them back this direction, this could be a gigantic boost for our program. Shane Beamer says to Oklahoma, jokes on you because not only am I not coming back, but I'm going to take the other guys with me. So, <laughs> yeah, J- jokes on you. Oh, you. Um, before we get into just kind of a brief, Alex, 2021 season in review, if you will, because, of course, like I said, we are uh, talking on Tuesday after the season has concluded. And the Gamecocks sit 6-6, six and six, eligible. They will find out their fate on Sunday. I do have to ask, since we're talking coaching carousel, and I will say it feels good to be on this side and not be – because it felt like for weeks you and I were talking about the coaching carousel and this name and that name and that rumor – uh, one guy who found himself in the rumor mill and interviewed for the job twice, Billy Napier, headed to Gainesville, taking the head coaching job at Florida. Any thoughts from you on that at all? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't – who knows how he'll fare, but the expectations we know will be sky high for him in Gainesville. I mean, any, any, any thoughts at all? I mean, I, I know we kind of dove into him last year a little bit, but uh, I thought that was inter- an interesting hire for sure. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> Just my two sons. I don't think that's going to work. Enough. Fair enough. I mean, Clemson, like Clemson ran him out of town and then he built something, he built something nice at, you know, Louisiana, but I mean, Florida went to the SEC title game last year and they axed their coach this year. So you're going to have to temper expectations or give him some time. And I don't know that they're going to do that. Yeah. I think Florida's fighting in a more severe way, sort of what we're fighting in the sense of, you know, I think one of the things that probably hurt Mullen the most outside of being just a kind of a quirky weird guy for lack of a better way of putting it was uh you know your, your your friends over at Georgia are crushing it and they're killing you in recruiting and Clemson doing what they're doing and you know it's it's like again what have you done for me lately just talk about cutthroat I mean that, that, that that's a perfect example I mean Dan Mullen the record he had there and what they did you're gone that, that just goes to show you really it's I mean it's truly a what have you done for me lately results oriented business so that showed it um alex before yeah, i let you go, sure. yeah yeah it's insane alex before i let you go though again i, I just really quickly want to give you an opportunity because again it's it's uh it's a little emotional my man the last show of the 2021 <laughs> regular show season, 21. I, well i know we'll talk again because obviously we've got a bowl game thank god we've got, we've got a bowl game <laughs> i would have to imagine there will be news that happens uh, between now and a bowl game and of course practices and stuff like that and so we'll definitely chat again at least one more time 
uh, this 2021 calendar year. But I, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, you know, I know Saturday night left a really bitter taste in our mouths, but that can't take away from what Shane Beamer did in his first season. And we talked about it last year when he got the job. We communicated all throughout the preseason. And, of course, week one, when you and I first spoke for the 2021 season, getting to a bowl game was going to be a massive success for Shane Beamer. You know, when you take into account what he faced, this roster, the personnel he was left with. So you go 6-6 six and six in the 2021 season. Your overall thoughts, feelings, any, anything you want to share on just, I guess, your overall takeaways from the 2021 season that was, things you liked, things you want to see, see improve, and your overall feelings on the state of the program after year one under Shane Beamer. So I, I would say off the bat, I think every single one of us, everybody listening to this, everybody that has a rooting interest in South Carolina should be very, very proud of what this team put together this year. And I think, you know, going back to when we talked before EIU, I know we were giving out season predictions. And I think I probably came down somewhere in the neighborhood of like four and eight for the year, just because looking at the schedule, looking at the roster we had coming back, I didn't know what was there. Knowing what we know now through 12 weeks, the turmoil that we've been through to be sitting here at six and six today, playing for a bowl game with a chance to go out of the 2021 season with a winning record, I think is a monumental accomplishment, especially when you look at what we went through at the quarterback position, what the offensive line has produced, the unbelievable growth of the secondary that we've had this year under Clayton White. I think there are, there are so many things to look back at this season that are huge positives. I think where people struggle with this is, you know, or at least what I've seen and heard people say is like, you know, six wins just, you know, we're eking by Vandy, we're eking by East Carolina, you know, we're eking by Troy, you know, in these games that you should run away with, we didn't run away with them. And it kind of leaves like a sense of disappointment kind of just lingering there. But at the end of the day, you won. You know, you got the wins, you're going to the bowl game, you got a chance to have a winning record in year one. And I, I can't understate how much positivity that brings to a program. You know, we, I think from a culture standpoint and what Shane's been able to instill in these players over this first season and keeping everybody together through the ups and the downs of all of this, I think speaks to his character. And I think it speaks more broadly to what we have coming down the pipe and what we all have to be able to look forward to and be excited about in the next five years and where this thing could go and what it could grow to. And I think, all, all of that being said, we have something that there's a foundation laid now that we can be proud of and we have something to look forward to next year and the years after that. And it's, it's exciting to watch this thing get built up. And, and I think the way that we all wanted it to be built up on, you know, positivity, somebody that wants to be there, you know, a fresh voice to come in and craft this thing the way that he wants to craft it. And I'm just, I'm excited more than anything to watch that go through. Um, you know, we, you know, there are going to be changes in the off season. I'm sure, I'm sure there will be, I'm sure there's going to be staff changes, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the transfer portal, who's coming, who's going. But I think that foundation, at least in year one has been laid. And I think it gives us something to really look forward to and be excited about in 2022. 
Yeah, very well said, Alex. And I would challenge people as well because you mentioned like the Vandys and the ECUs and the Troys, and I get it, right? Style points matter to people in college football, but I, I would really challenge fans to change the narrative and, and at least at least see it from both sides. See both sides of the coin because on one hand, you can say, oh, you eked by in those games and you backed into wins, I heard fans say. But how about instead of, taking that away from Shane Beamer and saying, well, we could have been an eight-win or, God forbid, a, I don't know, nine-win team, whatever people are saying, if if the offense, because I, I feel like the offense's struggles really unfortunately overshadowed so much of the positive that was done uh, in this season. And how about tipping the cap to Shane Beamer for and his staff for keeping the thing together when, hey, at multiple times this year, it could have just fallen apart and unraveled and folks lost confidence and and lost belief in the culture and the system and what we were doing. And so I agree with you, man, everything you said, getting to six and six, getting to a bowl game. We all said it during the preseason that that would be a success. Let's not lose perspective now and not realize the job well done. Even with the final game, I understand it hurts. It still hurts me. But even with that factored in, like you mentioned, man, the fact of the matter is this, if you'd have told any Gamecock fan, hey, you're going to be sitting there after the Clemson game, you're going to a bowl game, and if you win, you will have a winning record for the 2021 season. Who who would have who would have turned that down? Who would have turned nobody? That? Not a single. not not a single. single. Not even not like, even if I told you the score of the Clemson game, you'd have been like, you know what? Whatever, we're going bowling. That's an <laughs> yeah. that's a massive improvement. So after the after the last two years of Gamecock football that we have endured, like. To have a chance in Shane's first year to have a winning record in a bowl game is it's huge. Yeah. It's like huge. you mentioned, Shane Beamer, uh, job well done, and he accomplished a certain goal that I had after Will Muschamp's missile. He made game day fun again. And for that, I say thank you to Shane Beamer for, uh, yeah, for bringing back that excitement and that hope. And, again, now, of course, you got to make adjustments, got to make changes. We all know that will happen. And, of course, tis the season, right? <laughs> I can't even tis imagine being, being a football coach. Your family's all worried about Christmas and getting ready for the holiday season. You're sitting there like, honey, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> tis the season indeed. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> for sure. And every Alex, agent in America is salivating over commission checks. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Alex, man, it's been a pleasure. Truly, sincerely, again, I want to thank you. Obviously, our third season together doing this. And like I said, we'll chat again because, of course, thank goodness we have a bowl game. Uh, we will anxiously await the announcement of that on Sunday, December the 5th, when the Gamecocks will learn their fate uh, this Christmas season. But, again, sincerely, my man, thank you so much. Again, our third season in the books, the regular season in the books this year. It's, it's been an absolute blast. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I know our audience really appreciates your insight and perspective as well. So, again, Always a pleasure, my man, and just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You continuing to do this and uh, provide such great value for all the listeners out there. No, man, it's 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 my pleasure. I love it. gives It gives me an outlet to talk about all the frustrating things I watch on the weekend. So, no, I, I appreciate you even letting me do this. For sure. Again, he's Alex McGrath. I'm Chris Wiltz. Appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com